0: Initially, you sort of wanted me to focus on the post-pandemic workplace, and that is what we're going to talk about today, but I kind of felt that the frame of talent and opportunity was a good way of approaching it, because I think an easy answer, if we imagine the post-pandemic workplace, is it's not only going to be diverse, but the best workplaces are going to focus on that diversity, on leveraging that diversity, and I think talent and opportunity is a good way to think about it. So a lot of the stuff I want to talk about today kind of go between technology and society. It looks at how our tools are changing, how our spaces are changing, but also to think about that within the context of our society changing. And, you know, it's a cliche to say that the pandemic has changed work, changed how we think about work, but it's true. And it's something that I think is not even amongst all people. Right? There are many of us who the pandemic was an opportunity for professional development, an opportunity to make new contacts. I mean, in the case of my business, I'm more international now than I've ever been. I've, I'm connecting and meeting and engaging with people around the world that I don't think was possible pre-pandemic, but because of all the virtual events, because of all the online interaction, my network, my world has expanded dramatically. And I think the organizations that have prospered, the organizations that have been resilient and responded to this crisis, they're full of opportunity right now. And I think it's important to think of those examples and think of some of the morals that take place. But I also feel that before we talk about the post-pandemic workplace, before we think about talent, we almost have to address the, the sort of current dominant discourse. And that's this current talk about a labor shortage. Now in the United States, this is even more acute here in Canada, but all around the world, a lot of businesses are struggling to find workers. They're struggling to find help. Now, part of this is just a consequence of the pandemic. I mean, without being too morose, the labor market has contracted, right? Literally a lot of people have died and a lot of other people have dealt with sickness and trauma in a way that they will need time to recover. So that's created unto on, itself a kind of dynamic in the marketplace that a lot of employers are struggling to deal with. But the other's existential. You know, a lot of us had time to think about life, to think about the meaning of the universe and why we're here. And that very much influences what we do and why we do it. So a lot of low paying jobs, a lot of menial jobs, they're just not being filled. People don't wanna do them. And while I think this is an excellent opportunity for automation, it's also an opportunity both for individuals and organizations to think about their position in the labor marketplace. So if you're selling your labor, how to get the top dollar, how to maximize it. And if you're an organization, how to be able to afford that talent, how to be able to make sure that you're nurturing and growing all that talent. And that's where I think we're at a point now that talent matters, that we're thinking about what we do and why we do it. And just for a moment, I I think it's important that we look at definitions here. We think about what we mean when we say talent. I mean, I threw up the Merriam-Webster and they're talking about a special, often athletic, creative or artistic aptitude, general intelligence or mental power. And I like that definition, because if we think about talent that can be nurtured, well, then I disagree with the second one, the natural endowments of a person. I don't think that that's a fair definition of talent. I think that's a old-fashioned, an old fashioned and obsolete version, when instead, talent is a byproduct of hard work. Talent is a byproduct of really grinding and refining and honing a skill so that it becomes more than something generic, but something special. And in that regard, talent could be described as a group of people in terms of the third definition. But take a notice here at the fifth definition. A characteristic feature, aptitude, or disposition of a person or animal. So this is an aptitude, a feature, how we think of someone... And then look at 4B, a unit of value equal to the value of a talent of gold or silver, right? So the historical definition of talent was literally your weight in gold, how much you are worth. And that's an important thing to think about if you're re-entering the labor market, or if you happen to be looking to hire people, what is the cost? What is the price that you're paying for that? And another definition I want to distinguish is between talent versus passion. Because you hear a lot of people talking about pursuing your passion or bringing your passion to work. And maybe I'm contrarian, but I actually think that passion is sacred. That it's something that you should not bring to work. That it's something you should keep away from work, you know, for your hobbies, your family, your, your spiritual pursuits but that talent is different from passion. That talent is something that is special, that you refine, that you work on, that brings you value and allows you to make the most either of the marketplace or if you're an organization of the people that you employ. So it really begs the question, what is your talent strategy? As an individual, how are you cultivating your talents? How are you refining your talents so that you could get a better job, so that you could have meaningful work? But from an organizational perspective, what is your corporate talent strategy? How are you making sure that the people you invest in are growing, are developing skills and applying them to your mission and mandate? And that's where I kind of want to take a moment to talk about the three B. And the three B's are a kind of framework for understanding human beings and understanding quality of life. It suggests that every human being should have the chance to be, belong, and become. So if we think about this in terms of a corporate talent strategy, to what extent are you allowing your employees to be who they want to be, to be the person they think that they are, that they want to be? Right? Part of this is cultivating confidence, giving them the confidence to do their job, the confidence to engage in the rest of the world. But then, of course, there's the issue of belonging. You know, Are you fostering a corporate culture in which people feel that they belong, in which they want to belong, and they're connecting with their peers? They're connecting with the people that they work with. But the other piece that a lot of organizations fail to address is the becoming. Are you providing your people with a chance to become something new, to perhaps move from one department to another, to change job roles, to move up through the hierarchy, to develop skills that they aspire to? You know, we often call this uh, continuing education or professional development. But I think there's a personal side that also has to be part of this, which is why I feel that talent is more than skills. It's more than capabilities. It speaks to the way in which we live our life, the way in which we really wanna spend every day. And that's why I think the pandemic poses an existential threat to bad workplaces, to boring workplaces, to workplaces that do not fulfill people's desire to be, belong, and potentially become something new. So if we are to think about the post-pandemic workplace, then we're really talking about a scale or a tension between optimization and trust. The workplaces that are gonna use technology to really optimize their workforce, optimize their employees, which I'm arguing is perhaps a a mistaken path, a a distraction from the development of real talent, when instead what we ought to be focusing on is trust and fostering trust in a way that allows people to feel as if they're being invested in. Because one of the consequences of the pandemic, if we're gonna imagine the post-pandemic workplace, is the rise of workplace surveillance and the extent to which, whether it's in remote work or whether it's on-premises, we have seen an absolute proliferation in workplace-based surveillance. I mean, the EFF, Electronic Frontier Foundation, has done quite a bit of studies into the rise of this bossware or secretive tracking technology. All of this stuff predates the pandemic, Uber's been doing this for decades. Amazon, of course, has perfected the optimized warehouse. But a lot of companies, when they realized that they could no longer hold their staff accountable in the way they used to, they embraced a lot of this technology wholesale. ExpressVPN did a really interesting study that looked at 78% of employers surveyed employing some type of surveillance software to monitor the activity of their employees. Now, on the one hand, I can understand the desire to use this technology to facilitate accountability, to keep track of workers. But trust is the lifeblood of an organization. Trust is why people are going to do their jobs and show up and perform it accordingly. And if we're not able to trust our staff, if we alienate our staff by using surveillance, are they really going to do the best job possible? Because here's the other interesting research that came out of the pandemic. It turns out that people are only productive for, you know, four or five hours every day that you do away with the boring meetings, you do away with the, you know, make busy type of work, and you focus on what you need to do, all of a sudden you start seeing a scenario in which the five day work week is obsolete. In which all of a sudden the future of work will be five hour days, four days a week. Instead of 40 hours, now you're down to 20 hours. But what's interesting is the productivity studies suggest you're actually getting happier, more productive workers. That by allowing the flexibility, and I'm not just talking about the flexibility of remote versus in office, but the flexibility of when you're working. I mean, there are some nights when I'm most productive at 2 a.m. There are other times where 8 a.m. I'm just flying and I'm getting lots of things done. Depends upon my health, depends upon my family, it depends upon the weather. There are all sorts of ways, if we were to be honest with ourselves about productivity and getting the job done, we'd recognize that the pandemic has offered us a tremendous opportunity to reconfigure it entirely. But as I'm warning, it seems most organizations are using technology to optimize their people at the expense of those people and their mental health rather than using technology to foster trust. Because trust is a great way to not only increase productivity, but foster talent and renew talent and bring that back in a way that, you know, we've never previously thought of. And this goes to the idea that talent is increasingly expensive. This is great for individuals, but it's a challenge for organizations. And that's why flexible and nurturing work environments are gonna be necessary And that involves homework environments that allow people to work on their own time and in their own way. Now, we are about to enter into a fascinating A-B experiment in which we're going to see organizations who fully embrace flexible work, like the Government of Canada, for example, or we're going to see organizations go and embrace surveillance and embrace the optimization that treats people like machines, like cogs, and we're going to have a good chance to see which, those, which of those two work. But I think we also have to recognize that talent is universal, but the development of it isn't. And it requires investment, focus, and support combined with a culture that's able to recognize that. And that's why I'm emphasizing trust. And I'm emphasizing the way in which we should be empowering workers to work on their own terms, to work when they want to work, how they want to work. Now, one example of that that I'm particularly excited about is the opportunity of augmented reality. Because if I'm saying to you, yes, give these workers flexibility, give them freedom, well, that means they can start using technology like this, right? Like they can start creating their own type of home environment and work environment that's not only more productive, it's more creative, right? The idea of a distributed workforce is not only one. That has the opportunity to uh, pursue a greater quality of life, but it provides a greater opportunity to experiment, to find different ways of using technology to augment their work. This kind of experimentation, quite frankly, never actually happens in the workforce. I wish it did, but unfortunately, you know, people are not incentivized to play. They're not incentivized to create these types of hybrid environments that combine their leisure with their work. Because I almost think that that's one of the great benefits of the pandemic is it's allowed us to imagine a work-life balance in which both benefit from each other, in which our happiness in life bleeds into our happiness at work and our productiveness in work bleeds into our productiveness in life. And again, I recognize many people experience this pandemic in different ways. But there are those of us who, you know, were very productive. And I don't mean this in the work sense. I mean this in build a deck and, you know, renovate the house and learn a new language. We're going to come out of this pandemic with a bifurcated society, much like the 2008 financial crisis in which the people who had the resources and skills continued to thrive while a whole other part of society was left behind. We run a similar risk. And so on the one hand, I'm suggesting that we need to leverage the momentum and energy and research that came out of the pandemic, but I'm also saying we need to do so in an inclusive way that makes sure that no one gets left behind. And ironically, the example I wanna give for this are my goats, because I learned a lot as a goat herd. And you know, as many of you know, I grew up in Toronto, spent most of my time in Toronto. Before the pandemic, I ended up moving here to the Ottawa Valley because I decided I wanted to be a farmer, which is a whole other separate conversation. But the Academy of the Impossible is now a rural enterprise. And the faculty of the Academy of the Impossible are our goats. Because boy, do I learn a lot from these goats. Like for example, Goats will not do anything they do not want to do. They won't go anywhere they don't want to go. They won't do anything they don't want to do. And yet, this is my landscaping department. Right? They manage my property. They keep my lawns short. They get rid of my brush. Because I've long recognized the way to employ goats is to make sure that your agenda lines up with their agenda. But there's also the psychology of the herd that insofar as the herd believes that we are all in it together and I am helping them and they are helping me, well, that's a tremendous opportunity for us to work together. And I think about goats a lot when I think about the stresses that happen in the workplace, the difficulty managers have in trusting their people because they don't think that they can control them. But goats teach me that people don't need to be controlled. That in fact, if you align your agenda with their agenda, it's actually quite easy to work in concert and get things done. And so for me, GOATs are my learning network, right? I have spent my entire life learning. I surround myself with people who are smarter than me. And these days, it just happens to be GOATs. But it does beg the question, who are you learning with? And it should not be people exclusive to your organization. Hopefully it's your customers. Hopefully it's your uh, partners, it's your vendors. But that's the other thing we have to recognize when contemplating the post-pandemic workplace, that it's an intensive learning environment. Because those of us who thrived in the pandemic, those of us who are coming out of the pandemic better than we ever have before, it's because we spent this time reorienting and upgrading our learning capacities. And that's where I think learning networks are essential. For me, it's been Discord, Discord rather than Slack. I like Discord as a collaborative platform that is playful, that is rooted in a kind of gaming culture versus Slack, which is stiff, right? It's much more of a corporate or conformist culture And I think the pandemic has been a kind of apocalypse in that it's changed the world as we know it. We're now in a new world and that new world has to be inclusive. That new world has to be something that we feel can provide meaning to us and can be empowering. Otherwise, I think there's no point. So I bring this all back to talent in no small part because I feel that talent enables resilience in the face of volatility as well as enabling a kind of digital and organizational transformation. And I think for those of us, of which the pandemic uh, was an opportunity to recharge, it was an opportunity to focus our talent, to think of our talent. It was an opportunity to, to, to in the face of a crisis, of a global crisis, to think about our digital and organizational capabilities and to upgrade them completely. and. I think there's a lot of great examples of the way in which organizations are gonna be uh, propelling themselves in a post-pandemic environment. So it'd be interesting six months, a year from now to kind of revisit this topic and look at the kind of the winners and losers. But I think fundamentally, if we're gonna end on a kind of positive note, a lot of fantastic things happened in this pandemic, but they were just not even. They were not distributed. They were not universal or accessible enough. So the smart organizations, the smart individuals are going to do so moving forward in an inclusive way in which they think about their own talents and they think about how to transfer and nurture that in others and in so doing create a whole new range of opportunities. Thank you very much.